pray with him now and uh, give him the right words to say. And for each of ourselves, we pray that you'll open the ears and eyes of our hearts, that, you, that we might hear and see you in a new way tonight. And we trust that you speak through your servant, Alistair, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank Amen. You. Thank you. I'm never really asked very often to uh, to get up so early in a meeting and, and preach. Um, so that obviously means <laughs> that I've got quite a long time, which is fine. No, I'm just joking. Um, it's um, good to be back uh, here this evening. I had a, a lovely time with um, Kevin and the family uh, and uh, was fed well. And that was good. And uh, even got some uh, fruit crumble, which is my favourite. And got some custard, and my wife allowed me to have some, so that was good, wasn't it? I'm supposed to be on a diet. Uh, I go to Fat Club. Oh, no, sorry. I go to Slimming World. And, um, and, and it's brilliant. You go to Slimming World, and, and the little lady congratulates you for losing half a pound. It's, it's wonderful, and it's... Well done, Alistair, you've lost half a pound. And um, that's great, but very often she, she doesn't say anything at all. She just says, it's nice to see you, Alistair. <laughs> and then I have to tell my wife that I've put weight on, and she doesn't quite like that part. Um, but I try and keep away from the sweets as much as I can, but I do have a sweet tooth. Uh, but anyway, I don't know why I kept on saying that. Anyway, let's uh, look at uh, the passage, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to read from verse 1. And the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you uh, on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid uh, before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, "Take heed to yourselves that you uh, do not go to the go, do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. 
Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the, world, in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole nation quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. (coughs) Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. Do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. An interesting passage of up and down mountains, um, but dare I say an exclusion, an exclusion from the presence of God, an exclusion from being close to God, and um, as as we go through it, hopefully we'll see that, Uh, but obviously that is no longer, the veil has been rent in two. We can come straight into the presence of God. In fact, God comes and lives within us. Isn't that amazing? That if you're a Christian here tonight, you have God within you. Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside. And uh, that's, that's amazing when we look at Exodus and we look at all the things that the people of Israel went through. But now that's quite amazing. And uh, I think the more I read that, the more I thought, wow. What kind of, how, how does that work? How, how does that work out in your daily life there? Uh, but more importantly, how does it work out today when we've got a God who is holy? It's no different. A God who's holy, a God who's far above us, but yet dwells in us. Quite amazing. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this passage of scripture. We pray, Father. That in your goodness and in your grace you might help us to understand a little bit more of it and, and to be thankful for where we are in time and, um, and to, to just be thankful for Jesus, uh, to be thankful for him who came, who died, who rose, whoever lives to make intercession for us, who has sent his spirit to come and to indwell us. And uh, Lord, just help us to understand that and help us as we go through this passage to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be blessed. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. What you want 
is not always what you need. Now that's what older people say to younger people, isn't it? (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, what you want is not always what you need. And I used to think, what? (laughs) What's all that about? And uh, I soon found out when I didn't get the car that I wanted, the things that I wanted, what you want is not always what you need. The people of Israel had lesson after lesson on this and still failed a little bit like us at times, isn't it? Um, The people of Israel had been through a lot and to be God's possession and prize, they were going to have to go through more. Sorry to say, but it's a little bit like that with you and I. We will have to go through things. We'll have to go through painful situations. We'll have to go through situations that we don't really want to go through. Because as you look at the scripture, becoming a Christian is not all wonderful and light. Although we're going to heaven and so on and so forth. We still have issues to work through. It's not a case I've become a Christian, everything's great. I've become perfect now. Well, in one sense we have because we have Christ's, we're clothed in Christ's righteousness. But as we walk daily, we start to realize that we don't do things as we should. Uh, I told you this morning when I became a Christian, I thought I had made it. I was perfect then. And I soon started to realize that I was far from it and uh, that other Christians weren't perfect either. And uh, arguments started to flow and so on and so forth. We are God's possession. We are God's prize. But there are sometimes we fail. And God's ways are seldom our ways. And it was God's plan to carry his covenant people through the miseries of Egypt towards the promised land. Genesis chapter fifteen thirteen. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's God's people. Wait a minute. I didn't sign up to this. <laughs> Well, that's what it says. They were going to be afflicted. You see, that divine principle hasn't changed to this day. If we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. I don't know where some people get this, you know, everything will be fine. Uh, You know, this uh, doctrine that goes about today that says that... um, you know, once you become a Christian, everything's great and everything's happy and, you know, the health and wealth sort of thing. That's not what the scripture tells us. So if you're here thinking that everything's going to be rosy, think again. And if everything is rosy and you claim to be a Christian, wonder whether you really are. After a hard time, God calls Moses, and with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God liberates his people from bondage. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground, they receive food from the sky and water from a rock, and in three months they arrive at Mount Sinai. Here God makes a solemn covenant with Israel to confirm the covenant he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel camps at the Red Sea. God reminds the people of who he is and who they are in verses 1 to 4. What had they been through to get there? 
He reminds them. For Moses, it's coming back to the place where it all began, Sinai. That's where, uh, where uh, he was before. God at the burning bush. He was before God at the burning bush, remember? And God has taken him back there. Where God had said to him in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, that God would bring him back to prove that God had sent him. <laughs> and he's taken him back to the place where... He had met him at the, the burning bush. And there are some times that God has to bring us back to certain places at certain times. Did you get it? <laughs> and if you like, God's taken Moses back. Did you get it? Did you get, do you see what I've done for you? Can you look back and see? You said you didn't want to go. You said you weren't brave enough. You said that you couldn't speak. Look what I've done for you. And sometimes God brings us through things and, and, and takes us to the place and says, look back. Look at what I've done. You know, a lot of people say it's not good to look back. I think sometimes it is. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, some people look back and they're, they're a misery for the rest of their lives. I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking about looking back and seeing what God has done to bring you out of and to bring you through. You know, it's not, it's not the easiest thing to go through an illness, is it? It's not an easy thing to go through, through, through cancer or anything like that. My dad, my dad had cancer. My dad died of cancer. And just before he died, he phoned me up and he says, me and you okay? And I said, yeah, of course we are. Of course we're okay. And then he said, he said right, I'm going to wait to be put on the morphine um, thing. And uh, he more or less said goodbye to me. But in that time that he was going through that struggle... There were times when me and him spoke and, and he would say some of the things that had happened in, in, in those times. It's good sometimes to look back and to see where God has brought you through. So for Moses, to get there, Moses had to trust God in amazing situations, didn't he? Doing things that would stretch even the most spiritual of men. Going back to Egypt to speak to the people of Israel and to speak to the Pharaoh, to bring the people out. He saw the power of God and the miracles. He saw the jealousy of God and the plagues. No one before me. He saw that. He saw that God was a jealous God. He saw that, a, that God was a God of miracles. He saw the judgment of God on the people of Egypt as they would not let the people go to the Red Sea. Or more importantly, they wouldn't listen and bow to the will of God. The protection of God with the blood around the lintels and the posts and the doors as the angel of death visited the land of Egypt. He saw that. With a cloud of fire keeping the Egyptians back at the Red Sea, he had seen the provision of God as well, didn't he? And the quails and the manna and, 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 and the rock, water coming out of there. He saw those things. And God had brought him through those things. But still, more to come. But here is a time He's going to get the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And I want to remind you, Moses, of what went before. Because here is an important time. And sometimes God brings us to important times in our lives. And he asks us to look back to see what God has done. For the people, the mourners in Egypt say, leave us here. Stop the plagues. Don't hurt the Egyptians, because they're going to hurt us. And they had to, didn't they? They had to, had to make uh, uh, the, 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 the bricks 
with less straw and with less things. Do you remember that? They see God's hand in the plagues. They finally see it. Seeing God's hand in the deliverance. Seeing God's hand in the parting of the Red Sea. Seeing God's judgment at the Red Sea. So as Moses is going through us, so are the people going through it. And the people are seeing it. You see, sometimes we go through things and we think it's all about us. Well, it's not all about us. It's about the people who see us. Your next door neighbor seeing you going through illness. The people next door who see you going through situations and glorifying God in the midst of it. It's not always about us. It's how we go through the problems. It's how we go through the trials. And Moses is remind, uh, God is reminding Moses that the people have been going through these things. And as they've been going through these things, they've been growing through it. Moaning at Rephidim because they had no water. We would be better off back in Egypt. Seeing the miracles of the water, the quails and the manna. They saw those things. And in verse 3 and 4, God reminds them they are from the house of Jacob, the twister. People of Israel hadn't changed much. And he tells them he knows their hearts, yet he's prepared to take them as his people. He shows them grace. And a lot of people say there isn't much grace in the Old Testament. I think there's tons of it. How on earth can you put up with people like that? God reminds them, I took you out, I protected you, I bore you on eagle's wings, he says. Now it is said that an eagle, I don't know this, I just read it in a book. It's said that an eagle does not carry her young in her claws like other birds. The young eagles attach themselves to the back of the mother eagle and are protected as they are carried. Any arrow from a hunter must pass through the mother eagle before it would touch the young eagle on her back. That's how God carries us. And that's what he sent to the people of Israel. It could have been a lot worse. (laughs) But I protected you through it. I took you through it. Think. God has said to the people, I've carried you thus far. And I want to show you how much I love you. And how much further I want you to go with me. If you'll heed my voice and keep my commandments. What an amazing scene. They have reached a place where the next situation is going to be the Ten Commandments. And he's saying, remember. Because the Ten Commandments are going to be pivotal for them. So God now tells them that the relationship will look like, or what the relationship will look like in verse 5 and 6. Then you shall be a special treasure to me. God intended for Israel to be a special treasure unto him. He wanted them to be a people with a unique place in God's great plan. A people of great value and concern to God. He wanted them to be his people. What he'd called them to be was a nation of light to the nations in darkness. And they weren't very good at it. 
But isn't this what Paul prays for us as Christians, if you're a Christian here this evening? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants us to know the love God has for us, for Christians, to know how great a treasure we are to God. Have you ever thought to yourself that? You're a treasure. Just let that sink in. You are a treasure. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> to think about that, that God thinks of the Christian as a treasure. He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. God intended for Israel to be a kingdom of priests. Where every believer could come before God themselves and everyone could represent God to the nations. Do you notice? That's what he wanted. But it wasn't until Christ it happened. <laughs> they had one priest, or one high priest, and it was only the high priest that could go into the Holy of Holies. And even then, with a rope on him, so that he could pull him out. Peter reminds us, as Christians, we are a royal priesthood. So different. A special treasure, a kingdom of priests. When you become a Christian, you are a priest. Now, not like the Catholic Church or the whatever... But we are a royal priesthood. He says, you shall be a holy nation. Now God intended Israel to be a holy nation. A holy people. A people set apart for God. Not only in their position, but also in their character. They were going to be the example for this world, as we've already said, as to the power of God and the love of his people towards that powerful God. Peter again reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we are a holy nation. For us as Christians, we are to be set apart as an example and a character to the world that we live in and the people that are around us. We are to be different. We are to be God-lovers and people-lovers. I was saying this morning, wasn't I? It, it, it is, it's, it's difficult It's difficult in the decisions that we make because in our hearts we want to do things that aren't right because it's nice. You know, the Bible tells us that there is pleasure in sin, doesn't it? And we know that. We're not idiots. We know that there is pleasure in sin. But God asks us to be holy in our character and the way that we do things, the way that we look at things, the way that we look at the world. And what we look at, how we do things, what we say, where we walk. We are to be different. Not odd, uh, odd, sorry, odd, but not oddballs. Odd us because we do things differently. 
And we should be those who do different. Isn't that right? Not everybody's persuaded that one. <laughs> if I was sitting there, I'd be going, mm, not quite sure about that. No. <laughs> but that's how we should be. Be a holy nation. Verse 5, it says, but here's the, here's the thing, here's the rub. <laughs> Verse 5, keep my command, keep my covenant. Some look at this covenant as a covenant of, if you do this, I will do that. But that's a work-based covenant. And that is not what is God saying here. It's the same obedience required in the covenant when the Lord said to Abraham, by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What was that about? If you look at the New Testament, it wasn't about if you do this, I'll do that. It was about grace. Abraham trusted the promises and if you remember it was uh, put to him for righteousness because he trusted, he had faith. Where did faith come from? Faith comes from God, doesn't it? It doesn't just suddenly appear. Faith comes from God. And this whole covenant that God is speaking about to the people of Israel and to us is of grace, is of faith. It's the same obedient required in the new covenant under which we live. So when Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 says that Israel must obey God's voice and keep God's covenant, it does not mean they must earn their blessings by working for God. It means they must keep themselves in an attitude to receive God's grace and to receive God's mercy and to receive God's faithfulness. It's about the attitude. The people of Israel agree to obey the covenant. So they're going, yes, we'll do this. Then God shows his people his holiness and demands respect. Preparation was to be made. This was not a, ouch, well, we have agreed, now we can get on with the job in hand. The people of Israel would have to learn the ways of God and the character of God and that there were boundaries that were to be laid down. First thing, consecration. They were to be consecrated to God for his use, set aside for his use. Second, bounds were were set. The coming of God to Mount Sinai did not mean the people were free to go to the mountain and fellowship with God, wasn't it? They had to keep their distance behind a barrier, and the penalty for failing to keep that distance was death. Anyone who ignored that boundary was to die, but not by a touch of someone else. Because if that person touched, then they were unclean as well. Thus the holiness of God. Anyone who ignored this boundary was to die, but not to be touched uh, not be touched as they would take, make the toucher also unclean. They were to be caught, killed by a stone or a slingshot or an arrow. The boundaries were there as a safeguard to themselves. God knew their hearts, knows as humans they would push the boundaries. Isn't that right, kids? Those who are 90 years old, kids, we love pushing boundaries. Just you ask my wife. I like to push the boundaries with crumble (laughs) and custard and sweeties. Well, one won't hurt. Maybe a whole bag would. But if I just have half a bag, then it's not as bad as a whole bag, is it? But God knew their hearts. 
And they knew that people pushed boundaries. So he tells them, submit to me in this and not your own feelings or it will cost you your life. The people could only come near at his invitation only where the trumpet blew. As you look at this, you do feel a little bit sorry for the people of Israel, don't you? You know, very often we point the finger at the people of Israel and we say, oh, they always, they always let them down. But, man, these were some things that they were being told not to do. Also, there were ceremonial purities and cleansing in verses 14 to 15. Don't have relations with your wife. Now, the rest of the scriptures do not teach that there is uh, any inherent uncleanness in relations with your wife. So what is meant here? Well, what is meant here is that it's a restraining of the flesh. They are demonstrating that this is so important that I'm going to withhold that at this time to concentrate fully. Secondly, they washed their clothes to demonstrate their purity by putting on clean clothes. See all the outward things that they have to do. Don't you think yourself very fortunate that you don't have to do that as a Christian? I do. Third thing, be ready for the third day. It was that day and not before that day. It wasn't the second day. It wasn't, you know, well, 24 hours, 23 hours and 55 minutes. It was the third day. Not before the day was the day the way had been made open for them to come to him. Only that day. We have access 24 hours a day. And we don't even take that. (laughs) And I'm speaking to myself. But also if you look at God's presence in verse 16 to 19, there, there, there were signs of power and glory which signaled the presence of God. Thunder, lightnings, earthquakes, thick cloud, the whole environment, environment must have seemed terrifying to the people. Could you imagine it? I don't know if you've ever been in a storm, a, a real storm. I was in a, I was out in a Force 8 in a, on, a, on a fishing boat. And it was a, I was only, I think I was about 13 or something like that. And uh, all the fishermen were out, uh, you know, tying everything up. And I was throwing up over, all, over the, all over the place. And I was going down and up and down. And I looked at the, what the stupidest thing I did was look out at the wheelhouse and look. And the waves were, <laughs> boys, I was frightened. And it was dark. Dark up and dark down. You couldn't see anything. All you could feel was a splash of the water under the wheelhouse. Man, I was petrified and there were these people absolutely petrified with the thunder the lightning the earthquakes the thick cloud everything terrifying and to be told you can't touch the mountain you touch the mountain you're dead (laughs) the sound of the trumpet was very loud beyond uh, beyond all one could see hear and feel then there came a long loud blast of a trumpet a trumpet coming not from the camp but from heaven itself no wonder all the people who were in the camp trembled Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God then Moses led the people right up to the barrier at the very foot of Mount Sinai where they could see smell hear and virtually taste the fire which engulfed the mountain as well as feel the earth shake under their feet when the whole mountain quaked. (laughs) 
It's like a visual sign of God's holiness. Moses speaks and God answers audibly. God calls Moses up the mountain. He goes up as a representative of the people. They couldn't go up. They weren't allowed, only Moses. The people watched on with fear. What's going to happen here? Is he going to make it up? Is he going to come back down? What's going to happen? Is the leader going to come back? And God tells Moses to go and warn the people again. Some say this was because God was not a scientific inquiry. I read that little bit and I thought that was pretty good. God tells Moses to go and warn the people again. Some say this was because God was not a scientific inquiry. So God wanted no one to come up. I think the real reason was this in verse 21. That they may gaze and perish His motive for telling Moses to go down again was love. A love for his people. It wasn't anything else but that. He had a love for his people. He says, look, you get to this stage, you go up there, and you've had it. But the love for the people, he says, don't do it. You know, we look at it and we think, oh, man, God's not very nice doing that. But actually he was. He was being loving and caring to the people. And he was saying, I love you, don't do this. That's what the Ten Commandments are, isn't it? Here are the things don't do. It's not that God's a killjoy. God's actually saying don't do these things because they're a menace. Because what they actually do is they break a relationship with me and they break the relationship with you. If you tell a lie, you know, if somebody tells you a lie, what happens? Trust. You don't trust them. Because they come back again and you wonder whether that person's going to tell you another lie. Do you, do you allow a person who's come into your house who's stolen to be in their house alone? Of course you don't. Because it's a broken relationship. And what God is telling us in the Ten Commandments, hey, listen, <laughs> these things that I'm telling you is not for killjoy stuff. It's for your good. Because he loves us. He cares for us. He doesn't want harm to come to us. I think another reason was that the whole picture here was that of exclusion. They couldn't come to God on their terms. This was to be done a few thousand years later in some aspects. When the promised mediator Jesus was to come. But they weren't allowed to come in their terms. There was an exclusion here. Someone say even today that there is a need to get more of the thunder and lightning and trembling of Mount Sinai into people as a way of keeping them from sin. Ever thought about that? The hell and thunder brigade. Don't get me wrong. We need to speak about hell. We need to speak about sin. And it's an awesome thing to speak about. But those who speak about it a lot should be speaking about it with tears in their eyes. And the problem is they don't. Because they think that that will bring a trembling of people to their sin. But listen to this. Yet 40 days later, the whole nation are prancing around a golden calf saying it was that that brought them through the Red Sea. It was that which delivered them. Someone would say, oh, is one thing the submission of the will is another. Sorry. (laughs) I ran through that. Here they were in this situation (laughs) with... All that was going on, the thunder and the lightning and the trembling. But that did not change their hearts. 
Because as I said, for 40 years later, they were prancing around this golden calf going, oh, you've brought us out. Where's the fear of God there? After seeing it 40 days before. Someone said, awe is one thing. But the submission of the will is another. Israel had plenty of awe, but little submission of their will. And isn't that true with us today sometimes? Quite a lot. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 14 shows us we are under a new covenant. Praise God. No longer fear and terror, but love and joy. Not that there was fear and terror. You know, there was love in, the, in, the, in all that was going on. No longer a dry desert, but a city of the living God. They were in a dry desert. We're going to a city of God. Not an earthly place, but a heavenly and spiritual place. No longer a shut door to God where only one man could go to meet God, but all who are in the family of God, the priesthood of all believers, can come before God. No longer staying in guilt and fear, but freedom in Christ. We now have a mediator who is perfect, who casts out all fear. No longer an old covenant ratified by animals, but a new covenant ratified by the blood of God's only son, Jesus. Sinai was about exclusion. Zion is all about invitation. Sinai was all about exclusion. Zion is all about invitation. It's not what that we forget and cannot learn from the experience of Sinai. I'm not saying that. We can. There is much to learn. We must receive God's word. They had to receive God's word. We must be set apart. We must be cleansed. We must respect God's boundaries. We must restrain the flesh. You may be here this evening and you're still under the law, trying your best to do and to keep the law, trying to do good enough. You never will be. You'll never be good enough for God. If you're trying your best to keep those commandments, you'll fail and you'll fail and you'll fail. It's only what Jesus did on the cross that's ever good enough. Those people went in, the high priests went in and they did the sacrifice and they came out. And but there was exclusion. But now there's invitation. Abraham, Moses, those that believed the promises of a coming saviour were saved from the wrath to come. What about you? What about us here this, this evening? Have we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we seen the holiness of God? Do we realize how much he loves us? Christian friend, do you realize how much he loves us? How much we are his treasure? How much he, grace he showers upon us? Love and mercy invites us to come to him, opens up the way that we could have a relationship with the almighty God who, it's, who here. There was all sorts of things that couldn't, they had to do to get there. 
And even when they did, they didn't. But now, Christ has made the way. And we have our freedom in Christ. I trust that this might be helpful um, for us. Uh, And as I'm sure you'll be going into um, chapter 20 soon and seeing the the Ten Commandments of what they really are. His love letter to us. Because that's really what it is. A love letter to us. And we need to be obedient to him, don't we?